Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak, and I work as the Deputy Head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. Daniele Albertazzi is a Professor of Politics and Co-Director of the Center for Britain and Europe at the University of Surrey. He is focusing on right-wing populism, Italian politics, political communications, and party organization. Erecting to one of my tweets, it led to our podcast discussion. We talk about the foreign and domestic policies of Italy's Prime Minister Giorgio Meloni, about her possible competition with Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban over the leadership of the European radical right, and also about whether Meloni's support for Ukraine will last. And do you want to know what tweet of mine triggered this debate? Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. American President Joe Biden calls Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni abides. This is how he reacted on Twitter on my post that Italy stopped its involvement in the Chinese Belt and Road project. Could you elaborate on this a bit? Why is Meloni bidding to follow yeah. US positions? Yeah, so, but obviously, on Twitter, you need to simplify, and I'm not directly suggesting that Biden picked up the phone, but we know that in previous meetings that have taken place, the United States have made clear, but you know, been very clear about the fact that it, they saw as a kind of anomaly the fact that there was a such an important U.S. ally added to the Chinese initiative. And we've heard this for several months now that uh, the government was reconsidering this and was not really convinced of the, that this was appropriate. So strange enough, now they've decided to pull out. When uh, the Five Star Movement, uh, led by Conte, decided to join, uh, there were already a lot of discussions about whether this was a wise move. And my tweet was about kind of underlining the fact that, in my view, Meloni is setting an example uh, of a particular strategy that can be adopted by radical right parties across Europe. And I'm very curious to see in the future how many similar parties might decide to follow her lead. Yes, this is something I wanted to ask you about, because you also wrote on Twitter that the current Italian government will continue to behave, let's say, responsibly when it comes to international alliances and the EU, but of course, it will also enjoy a free hand when it comes to domestic policies. You said neither Biden nor the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, need or want to interfere when it comes to migration, human rights, or welfare state in Italy. And you also asked a question, if this is a new winning formula for the radical right in Europe. So is it? I suspect they might be. We have to see whether others are willing to kind of follow this lead. But it seems to me that is a very clever way of uh, setting up the relationship between Italy and other countries. So let's step back one second. My theory has always been that there aren't big differences 
between Italian prime ministers when it comes to foreign policy and relationships between Italy and the really important allies. Uh, so major countries in Europe and indeed, of course, the European Commission and of course, the United States. I've always said that if you try to kind of forget about the different rhetoric, uh, move beyond the style, uh, even Berlusconi uh, would always kind of spoke as if he was setting some kind of revolutionary new course. In reality, uh, stuck quite uh, religiously to the usual line. What is the usual line? From the beginning of the so-called Second Republic in Italy, which is the uh, mid-90s onwards, the line has been stick very close to the United States on being seen as a very trustworthy NATO ally on the one hand and remain at the very core of Europe and avoid picking fights with the European Commission that you cannot win. It seems to me that, as I said, if you forget about the different rhetoric, then you see that all Italian governments have actually followed this path. Even, even following the election of 2018, for a brief period where the government of the League and the Five Star Movement together, even then they avoided picking a real fight with the European Commission. They were basically told that uh, Italy's deficit was supposed to remain at around 3%. Uh, they went to Brussels saying we are going to get something much higher than that. And they came back with 3.04% or something like that. So what I'm saying is for structural reasons, Italian governments cannot afford uh, to take a different path unless they are ready to really, I mean, engage in some really high-profile battles that they know they're likely to lose. Why am I saying this? Because, as we all know, Italy has a large state debt, uh, which is around 140% of GDP. Partially, it keeps funding this by relying on Italians themselves, uh, who are willing to put some of their savings towards buying or lending money to the state. But to a large extent, they also need the international financial markets to step in. We've seen what happens when the international financial markets turn against Italy because in 2011, one uh, Silvio Berlusconi had to basically lost his majority in parliament because he lost the confidence of even some of his own MPs uh, following basically the financial markets turning against Italy. My understanding is that Meloni absolutely wants to avoid finding herself in this position. So what happened when she did very well in the last uh, Italian election was that obviously from the really influential international media, Washington Post, National Times, The Economist, uh, there, there was a kind of quite unanimous chorus of, oh, she's, she's very radical, is she even a fascist, uh, what is going to happen? And if you just dig d- deep and then go back just a few years, you'll find plenty of examples of Meloni and the brothers of Italy saying, do we really need to be in the Euro? Let's set up a naval blockade and bounce back all the ships that arrived towards Italy. I mean, all sorts of things that clearly put them in the same category as the likes of, of builders in the Netherlands or Vox in Spain. So it seems to me that then she had two chances. She could go down one route, which was stick to this kind of very radical path, but then be ready to pick quite substantial battles, which I I think she would lose. Because let's keep in mind that 
She has the support now, but support in, in, in not just in Italy, in, in general, in post-industrial societies in Western Europe, for example, but also Central and Eastern Europe, America. Support is very volatile. So just because I get 37, 38 in an election, 40%, it doesn't mean that two months down the line, I still enjoy the same level of support. So Voters are very volatile. So does she want to engage in a huge row and, and possibly see a lot of problems by, I don't know, her taking some very radical positions vis-a-vis -vis the European Commission, engaging in the kind of battles that Orban is engaged in? I don't think so. I don't think she wants that because I think she has a clear sense of what she can and cannot do. So my impression is that she's taken a quite clear decision. We strategically, I think it makes a lot of sense. So she will stick to the usual path when it comes to NATO, United States, Ukraine, and indeed uh, working alongside the European Commission. But then this buys her the space to then do more or less what she wants when it comes to internal politics, because, of course, frankly... Biden or, or von der Leyen or Macron just don't have a say in these things. And frankly, I don't think they are very interested, to be honest. Well, this is a longer issue, but just to summarize, I mean, some of the decisions that have been taken by this government that have affected lesbian couples who have adopted children in Italy and have been looking after children for many years together. So uh, this is it's an issue. That's an obvious example. But another example would be, for instance, that they, they can pass all sorts of legislations on law and order. Order. And are those social cultural issues still Melone's priority? I mean, at least part of limited LGBTQ rights, even maybe women's rights, and so on? I wouldn't say it's a priority, but it's a way through which she can throw a few bones at her electorate. These things don't cost very much. Nobody outside Italy needs to interfere and can interfere. And that's a way to show that, you know, you're still as radical as you were before. So on the one hand, you compromise on all sorts of things. But on the other hand, it's a way of kind of winking at your electorate and saying, oh, you know, I haven't really changed that much. Or, okay, I understand this is important to you. So I have this bone, right? Of course, when I call it bone, I'm not suggesting that it's necessarily relevant. These things can have a huge impact on certain groups of people. This is clearly something that uh, I think is likely to happen again in the next few years. Because on the other hand, the truth is that in many ways, this is going to be more moderate government than what was promised. So Migration. They've increased the quotas because they want to serve the interests of uh, northern Italian industry. They cannot create a naval blockade because that will be just too controversial. She doesn't want the headlines in the international media with like uh, the Navy, the Italian Navy bouncing back boats. Uh, and so she's being much less radical than Salvini was when he was governing with the five star and he was minister of the interior. She's much more kind of prime ministerial, responsible, let's say. So even the new policy that has been announced to kind of try and move some asylum seekers to Albania, still considerably more moderate than, than the idea of like uh, shooting at ships uh, approaching the Italian coasts. Pensions, they promised to uh, change the pension system. We've seen it just in the last few weeks. Uh, this is not happening. There is no money to be distributed. So again, in terms of all the promises they made, they're not likely to deliver much uh, in this sense because 
she needs to stick to a path that shows that her government is responsible. So in many ways, uh, and uh, kind of foreign policy, so we know that within the right, not just her party, but also the league, there are clearly a section of her electorate that is much more pro-Russian than, than she is. Again, I don't think this is priority for, for Italian voters, but again, she is going against those who would suggest that, for instance, Russia does have some good arguments and she is 100% uh, behind Ukraine. So there are many ways in which she's clearly either compromised or, or gone against what could be the wishes of her electorate. But on the other hand, how is she going to give them something? So that's what I'm saying. Law and order, migration, LGBTQ, these are things that can be done. Oh, by the way, none of them costs money. You mentioned Orban. So are we witnessing some kind of competition between representatives of radical right in Europe? I mean, on the one hand, a more combative approach of Hungarian Prime Minister Orban, and on the other hand, Meloni's style of doing things. The starting point, I think, is that we shouldn't expect these parties to act in a consistent manner on anything. And the reason why we expect them to act in a consistent manner is because clearly ideologically there are some similarities, but also because some media have been talking for a long time about the possibility of a populist international and so on and so forth. So some people expect them to be some kind of like they are friends or they try to coordinate. I can't see this. And I can't see this because, yes, they are populists, meaning anti-elitists and so on, but... First and foremost, they are nativists, so nationalists and in entirely focused on advancing the interests of their own country. In fact, it is the most important ingredient of their identity. We can expect them to continue to clap because, of course, one is pro-Russia, the, the next one is pro-Ukraine. Historically, because, you know, we, we know these things. I mean, it's not just Meloni, but also if we look at law and justice in Poland. So, and then you have one European countries to take a share of asylum seekers. The next one obviously will say, no, I'm not touching this. This is your problem. I mean, why should I? There is an international treaty that says that if they arrive in your country, they are your problem. So there are so many reasons why they are divided. I think the problem is to expect them to be united. That's what generates the contradiction, right? So if we don't expect them to be united because they, they can't be, then everything then immediately falls into place and makes sense. So Orban, I think, is a strategy. Orban, I think, I think he will eventually back down, but he's trying to obviously get something. But Orban has embarked for a long time on this strategy of like constant clashing with the European Commission. I think it would be very hard for Italy to do the same. Also, as I keep saying, there is a, it's the third largest market for state debt in the world after the United States and Japan in terms of the size of Italy, the, the huge size of Italy's state debt. So do you want to go down a path that might, one step at a time, lead you to the place you were in 2011? No. And I think in this sense, I don't know whether we're going to see two strategies that are going to clash, but in actual fact, they are already clashing because when uh, uh, Salvini or Meloni say we need an agreement at European level for migration, 
Oban, but also uh, from Austria, from Germany, uh, exactly the same parties will say, you know, thank you very much. I'm sorry, very sorry. You, you are right, but, but we are not going to lift a finger about this. So I think we are going to see more of the same in the near future. And I'm now expecting Meloni to change. I think she'll stick to this path, which is uh, working very well for her. In fact, I'm expecting her to try and play a very constructive role in the election of the next president of the European Commission. How do you see the chances of European radicals slash far-right forces shaping new policies after the EU elections next year, even having an impact on the composition of the next European Commission? Can they cooperate more widely? With the European People's Party? Yeah, I th- uh, well, I think what we will see is that the Conservatives, so the group led by Meloni, will definitely exercise influence. And what we are going to see is that the Identity and Democracy group, so the various League and Wilders and Le Pen, instead will be marginalized even more than that at the moment. My impression, I'm, I'm not an expert on European Union politics, but uh, also talking to other colleagues is that they are very marginalized even now. I would expect them to remain marginalized. And the great thing is for the EPP, they can get part of this electorate through working with Meloni, so the kind of more responsible, let's say, moderate face of the radical right, because ideologically they are the same. You can call them conservatives, but when you look at Meloni or Vox, you compare them with Lee Builders, Le Pen. Ideologically, they are in the same place. It's just that one behaves differently in terms of its relationship with Europe, European institutions, the United States. But when you look at the, if you, if you start analyzing the ideology itself on issues such as a nation, identity, religion, gender, Basically, we are, we are talking about the same kind of parties. So one has decided to play the card of the responsible one. Uh, will Meloni manage to kind of set an example? At the very least, she is leading the group of conservatives, so-called conservatives. So uh, I know she has a lot of influence within this group. And yes, I expect her to work alongside the EPP. I mean, I don't know to what extent this can be formalized because, you know, it she still has the image of, uh, I mean, let's remember only a year ago, the international media was screaming, is a fascist going to lead Italy now? So, you know, this is a process that will take time, but certainly she's done her homework. And what she wants to do is to reach a point in which everybody outside Italy will just be relaxed that, okay, we, we can work with this woman. And then inside Italy, as I said, on certain specific issues, she can keep producing legislation on initiatives, which seems to kind of satisfy that kind of electorate. But without rocking the boat when it comes to the really important issues of NATO, Italy's finances, international financial markets, European Commission. I think it's a clever strategy. What does Melanie want to achieve on the European level? She wants a relaxation of the rules concerning the country's deficits. So, I mean, this rigid rule that it, you, you, it cannot be above 3%. So what she wants is that there is a new agreement whereby, for instance, if a state uh, commits to invest even large amounts of money into improving its productive structures or its manufacturing ability or other things or, or infrastructure, other things that can be claimed to produce growth, then this is discounted from the 3% that you are never supposed to go above. She wants more flexibility of the European Union in terms of all these financial rules. 
And also what she wants alongside that is a sharing of the burden for especially asylum seekers that are likely to keep reaching Italy, Greece and Spain much more than, than other countries simply because of where they are in the Mediterranean. So she would love to find some kind of agreement, even if it's partial and it's not going to involve everybody because it's not going to involve everybody, but even if it only involves certain countries, the more the European Commission goes down this path, the better it is for her because the bottom line is so far she's failed. An electorate understands this, despite the fact that she enjoys very good coverage in the media and uh, uh, two out of three channels of the state uh, public broadcaster are on her side. But despite this, you know, the electorate knows because we nowadays we get information from so many sources. She is not achieving what she promised. She cannot set up a naval blockade and she won't. So she, anything she can use to say we are making progress. She only have a, has a few months now and then we are, we are back in the spring and, and the number of crossings will start shooting up again. So these are two things that she definitely wants from the European Commission and she can get this or at least uh, progress on, on this by being constructive and that's exactly what she's doing. Daniela, to wrap it up, I want to talk about Maloney's approach towards Ukraine. When the Russian full-scale invasion started, many people, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, perceived Italy as a pro-Putin country. And I would say there are some good reasons for this. And there were also some doubts about how she would behave towards Moscow, but Meloni supports Ukraine's fight against Russian aggression. I don't want to play an instant psychologist here, but do you think that she means it? Or it's first of all a tool for her to show that she's a reliable partner? In terms of uh, Italy, something that I don't know to what extent is clear is that Italy's suspicions towards NATO have very, very deep roots. And that's something that outside Italy is not always fully appreciated. So it's not just certainly there might be an influence of Russian propaganda or the, the new technologies that are used, of course. But this has very, very deep roots because uh, there was also a huge opposition within Italy to having nuclear weapons pointed uh, towards uh, the East. And why? Be because of the very strong tradition of communist, socialist and neo-fascist thinking, which is still alive and kicking after the Second World War. Political traditions have always been very suspicious of the United States for different reasons. When you look at, for instance, Five Star Movement, there is very genuine, very genuine worry that uh, keeping going on and on arming Ukraine, all that, that generates, it's a longer war. To an extent, yes, I agree with you. I mean, uh, she could have been expected to try and address these concerns, because there are also many people on the right that are very suspicious of NATO and how NATO has behaved towards Russia. But I think that this is just a realism. I mean, when it comes to international relations, of course, there is a, a school of thought. It's very, very popular among academics that says that states have no values. They only have interests. And when it comes to international relations, it seems to me that she completely falls into that category. So it's not much a matter of what she really believes. It's just that what she really believes is not necessarily the most important thing for her. So I, I don't know whether she's suspicious deep down, maybe suspicious of NATO herself, but basically she's answering this question, like, what is the best position Italy can have at the moment? And what is the best position I can have given my background? 
Right. So everybody's expecting me not to be uh, trustworthy in terms of being a solid pro Western, pro American ally. I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to gain a lot of uh, political capital, which frankly, she already got in the years of, of being prime minister. I'm going to uh, accumulate a huge amount of political capital by demonstrating that all the stuff written by the economists, the financial times, uh, that was wrong. I wasn't the monster that they made me uh, to, to be. The, the way they describe me is not is not correct. And by doing that, then she's she will be in the, the room with the big guys, and she will be seen as a trustworthy ally. And uh, and she will, as I'm saying, also she will not pick battles that she cannot win. So what's the point in being kind of fifty fifty? I mean, uh, for her. That's what I'm thinking. She's gaining a lot by sticking to this position. And I don't think it's very much a matter of what she really believes deep down. It's more the matter of where she thinks she needs to be. So I'm expecting her to stick to this line. I'm, I would be very surprised that she changes her strategy. What is going to happen? We don't know also because we don't know what this war. But I would expect that if she changes, it's because the West changes, right? So if there is a change in terms of the European Union and the, the, the United States, I don't know, starting to put quite obvious pressure on Ukraine to, 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 then, then she might change with them. But I would be very surprised if she basically deviates from this path on her own. And I would be very, very surprised. And I don't think she will. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.